Pleasure to be joined on the phone by Dr. Jeffrey Myers, TRU lecturer and lawyer, as well as constitutional expert. Uh, Jeffrey, it's been barely a week since we last talked, but some interesting developments on the Trump front, uh, or at least tangentially. Deputy Assistant Attorney General Rod Rosenstein finds himself in a bit of a pickle, whether he said it in jest and making a bad joke, or whether he, he meant it in a serious inquiry, but bringing up the possibility of invoking the 25th Amendment, the impeachment of President Donald Trump. Uh, those comments have been verified by media. Again, we don't know the context of that, but from your expert legal opinion when a guy of Mr. Rosenstein's stature makes those comments again be they a joke or be they serious uh, how do you how do you sort of read that well I mean first I think that the accounts came there were several anonymous accounts and then this was confirmed by a contemporaneous memo and uh, by his colleague McCabe um, who you, whose name you'll probably also recognize as one of the public enemies on Trump's hit list as it were um, so it's not clear what exactly happened but I think there's a credible reason to believe that he at least made some remarks to this effect to my mind making the remarks that we should think about the 25th Amendment, and I think specifically what he was saying was that when people went in, his colleagues who were being called upon, to interview potentially for the replacement of, um, this is how I understood it, of uh, Mr. Mueller, that they should wear a wire in there and see what the president says to see if there would be any additional, um, you know, uh, suggestion of obstruction of justice, right? And I think, you know, honestly, I mean, if he had serious suspicions, uh, you know, which they obviously did, there's no prohibition on on taping a conversation with somebody that you suspect is involved in criminal activity. Um, And, you know, if Mr. Rosenstein was joking about the 25th Amendment, it's a pretty raw joke because a lot of people, my self-included, think there may be grounds to invoke 25th Amendment. It may well be that he wasn't joking. Uh, We don't really know. We know that Mr. Rosenstein recognizes the fact that this story has come out, undermines at least the appearance of his neutrality, which is why, by all accounts, he went this morning to the West Wing to uh, potentially offer up his resignation, or at least he, he said he wasn't going to offer his resignation, but that he expected to be fired. He wasn't fired. He didn't meet with Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump is at the U.N. General Assembly, but he met with uh, General Kelly, Mr. Trump's uh, chief of staff, and they scheduled a meeting for later this week. But it w- the idea was he wasn't immediately fired, nor did he give his resignation. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of speculation about what would happen were he to be fired. In, in a general sense, there's this question of whether that would trigger a constant Constitutional um, crisis, because in the same way that that firing Comey did, the idea that he's trying to obstruct justice by removing an official who should be operating at arm's length. The additional difficulty with that, of course, is that if he was to fire Mr. Rosenstein, Mr. Rosenstein would be in in the line of succession would be replaced by Noel Francisco, who's currently the Solicitor General of the United States. He is a former lawyer from Jones Day, which is the firm which represents Mr. Trump's campaign in the Mueller investigation. So that creates a potential conflict of interest there. Uh, It's said that should Mr. Uh, Rosenstein leave his post as Deputy Attorney General, that he would be replaced by Matthew Whitaker, who's the Chief of Staff for Jeff Sessions, who's currently recused. And um, that's a little bit odd, because you would normally be replaced by somebody who was in the chain of command rather than a staff member for for another member of the department. So it's all a bit odd and murky, but I think the most important point uh, for your listeners to take home is that it's been very clear, um, not just among Democrats in Congress, um, but also amongst many Republicans, certainly not all, but among some Republicans, that this would be a red line not to be crossed. I know that the immediate effect of it would be fairly drastic because uh, the U.S. Um, grassroots Democratic Organization MoveOn.org has uh, laid in place infrastructure which would trigger massive demonstrations all over the country immediately upon the firing 
um, of Rod Rosenstein, and they have a fairly sophisticated mechanism of notifications up in a large number of people who would be on those lists. So I think there is every reason to believe that should this happen, you might see people, you know, getting into a mass mobilization in a similar way to, for example, how people gathered at airports to protest uh, Trump's travel ban early on in his administration. And so that would change the dynamic significantly as well. Uh, let's go back and touch on something that uh, you discussed a moment ago. I mean, the, the some of the game that, as you as you mentioned is that uh, possibly maybe this is an excuse to fire Mr. Rosenstein and put somebody a little more friendly to Trump in that position and perhaps pull the trigger on Mr. Mueller. Now, again, this is a bit of speculation because we don't know yet what's going to happen. We'll find out possibly on Thursday what Mr. Rosenstein's future is. Uh, but let's assume for a second that maybe this happens. Uh, I note Republicans are already a bit up in arms today, or at least some of them, uh, about that possibility. If, if that is indeed the road we end up going down, um, you mentioned a constitutional crisis perhaps, but uh, how, how would that potentially play out? Because not all Republicans are, are falling in line with Trump when it comes to you know, possibly trying to diminish or, or get rid of or scrap the Mueller investigation. Well, it certainly wouldn't necessarily lead to an immediate impeachment of Mr. Trump. It would overshadow virtually everything else in terms of the midterm elections and the campaign going on there. And there are certainly certain very, very, um, you know, hardline Trump-supporting Congress people who are pushing for, in fact, for Mr. Rosenstein's ouster. But there are other more mainline Republicans and moderates, particularly in the Senate, who oppose this. So I think it would be it would become a distraction and it would become an election issue. And I think it would lose. Um, you you know, the sort of lukewarm support that Mr. Trump has among mainstream Republicans who are afraid of uh, incurring his wrath. Maybe we should just burrow down and, and maybe you could explain for, for people who are listening, Jeffrey, why would this constitute or why could this kind of put into the making a constitutional crisis? Uh, what do you mean exactly by that? The reason this would create a constitutional crisis is because the Department of Justice and the lawyers who work for the Department of Justice are technically a part of the same branch of government as is the president and his cabinet, namely the executive. However, there are strong uh, practices uh, and directives and longstanding uh, customs around the importance of the Department of Justice operating at an arm's length from the White House as so that they can discharge their duty to investigate criminal wrongdoing in an objective fashion. Mr. Trump's behavior suggests he's never understood or respected that arm's length relationship. So what it would do is it would create a situation where something was technically legal by the letter of the law, but which violated all kinds of political norms. So the constitutional crisis that would be visited upon Mr. Trump would likely be played out more in political terms and purely um, legal terms. But there is an overall question also, I think, that Mr. Trump should give Mr. Trump pause, and I think likely will, that this is just going to provide further overwhelming evidence of obstruction of justice, which can then play into the hands of the Mueller investigation. And certainly, there's nothing that Mr. Trump can do to derail the, the Mueller investigation. He has no ability to do that. I mean, even if he fires Mr. Rosenstein and then somehow succeeds in having Mr. Mueller fired, someone else will come along in the chain of command and pick up that investigation. Um, and also, some aspects of the um, of of his criminal wrongdoing are also being investigated by various states and states attorney generals who are totally outside the control of the federal government, even um, immune to any pardons which Mr. Uh, Trump might grant. I just want to toss this at you, just sort of as a final thought, a bit of a topic change, but uh, we've touched on a little bit in the past uh, as we talk about Mr. Kavanaugh's uh, yeah. push for for uh, the Supreme Court. Yes, uh, we've had all sorts of developments on that front. I'm just curious as you watch this thing unfold and 
and, and with an eye on the GOP's sort of urgency to get this done before the midterms, but as accusations mount and uh, mm-hmm. the mud is tossed, how do you sort of read that situation? Yeah, I think there's some important points to be made on this. So I'm, I thank you for giving me the opportunity. The first thing I want to say about this is this issue, in a way, if if folks can understand this as as central of central importance, and sort of um, illustrating the kind of nonverbal pact or unofficial pact which exists between Republican uh, Party establishment and Mr. Trump, it's around the question of uh, appointments to the Supreme Court of the United States. Because the Republican mainline establishment, even if they're uncomfortable with Mr. Trump's rhetoric, want his presidency to to be successful insofar as he's able to appoint conservative um, justices to the Supreme Court because they recognize that that's one of the ways in which a president and his administration can exercise influence generations into the future long after they've left office. And the people that have been on um, Mr. Trump's shortlist for Supreme Court appointments from Neil Gorsuch, who's been appointed and now uh, Brett Kavanaugh are people who are widely approved and vetted by organizations like the Federalist Society, which are conservative groups of jurists. So they, there's a, a kind of a consensus that these people would be good appointments for more conservative-minded um, literalist interpreters of the Constitution. And, in, and it's extremely important at this stage in history because after the retirement of Justice Kennedy, this could flip the balance of the court from 5-4 uh, to a kind of tie situation swing vote uh, between the left and the right of the bench. So it's very important in that respect. Now, of course, if Brett Kavanaugh's nomination tanked and the Republicans remain in control of both houses of Congress, they can pick somebody else, um, uh, you know, and, and that and who would probably rule similarly. But obviously this is now a matter of, um, you know, saving face to some extent, you get the impression, uh, for Mr. Trump, but also is recalling for the United States and recalling for the world uh, the um, the controversy surrounding the appointment of Justice Clarence Thomas in 1991 amidst the credible allegations against him uh, by Anita Hill, who was also a professional woman and a person, um, you know, who, who commanded respect on her own part, but was nevertheless treated pretty shabbily uh, by the House Judiciary Committee, which at the time was all male. Uh, now the House Judiciary Committee is got four women on it, although the four women are all Democrats, uh, and the balance of the of power on the committee is uh, by a slight margin to Republicans. Um, it's slightly different time, also because of the Me Too movement. So there's a whole kind of um, reckoning with the past that's going on here. Um, I suppose the one thing I would say is I think people need to be clear about is. You know, one of the, um, you know, kind of talking points is people say, well, gee, this isn't fair. This is a person from 35 years ago. And now, by the way, there's been another um, allegation. How can it be that an old allegation, you know, that's not that, that is unproven um, could possibly cause somebody, you know, to to ruin their life and their reputation. And that was sort of what Mr. Trump's comments were and many of the conservative commentators have made. I think it's very important for people to understand that being appointed as a justice of the Supreme Court of the United States is not a right or entitlement. You So you can't deny somebody a right, a legal right or entitlement they have without due process. However, if you're talking about the high privilege, the high honor of being appointed as a lifetime member of the Supreme Court of the United States, if there are clouds hanging over your behavior, even if they can't be proven, but they have an air of reality or some credibility to them, and it's certainly within the rights of the um, the Senate not to appoint that individual um, for concern about you know what kind of um, moral character that they have. Now, in this case, the first allegation wasn't surprising to me that a second one uh, took forth was 
was credible in the sense that the person making the allegation is a credible person. They're a professor and a well-established person in their own field, but also the level of detail which corresponded to it, as well as the fact that um, um, that that the allegation um, made uh, by by Ms. Ford is the name of the person who who made the allegation after she was her identity was revealed. She's offered uh, the F- she's asked that the FBI come in and investigate this. People who don't have credible allegations about things that have happened in the past do not invite the FBI to come in and investigate. Now the FBI is not investigating, which by the way it did do of Clarence Thomas. Why is the FBI not investigating? Well, the FBI is not investigating because in order to investigate they have to be given the order to do so by Mr. Trump and they have not been given that order nor will they. But it's I think it's an obvious kind of contrast between somebody like Mr. Trump who's doing everything he can to avoid investigation and somebody like Mrs. Ford saying, look, this is a very painful, difficult decision for me. I don't relish doing this, but I feel I have a duty to do so, and I'm sufficiently willing to open myself up to investigation. She's also willing to testify before the committee. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on under the surface here having to do with this particular moment um, in history. But I just want to make the point for your listener for your listeners, that there's no right to be proven guilty uh, beyond a reasonable doubt or to be given some kind of full due process. It's not as if Mr. Kavanaugh risks going to jail as a result of these allegations in connection with his appointment to the Supreme Court or losing his liberty. What he, what he risks is not getting appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. And there's no right to be appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. The Senate and the, the Appointments Committee, the Judiciary Committee, are well within their rights to investigate every aspect uh, of Mr. Kavanaugh's life, as they've investigated every aspect of every other uh, Supreme Court justice's life. And the hope of many Americans is that the benefit of the doubt, in this case, will be given to a credible um, um, a credible um, allegation in the way that it wasn't last time um, for Ms. Hill. And again, now there's another person who's materialized and who's making similar allegations. And I just want to make one other uh, note on this, Shane, and that is one one of the some of Mr. Kavanaugh's defenders are saying even if he did do um, these alleged acts, even if he is guilty of these acts and he's completely lying, maybe it shouldn't matter because at the time that that occurred, he was a 17-year-old high school kid, and doesn't everybody do dumb things in high school? I think this argument is also a very specious argument. Let me tell you why. Because Justice Kavanaugh is one of those ultra-right conservative justices who's you know, it never hesitated, for example, when he's seen a 17-year-old African-American youth um, uh, being tried to say, hey, let's move this guy up uh, to criminal court. You know, a 17-year-old is no longer a youth. Let's try him as an adult, right? But it, if in his case, as a privileged white male, it's, oh, no, it's just a kid. Mistakes happen. You know, let's let it go. It seems really really quite, um, you know, hypocritical. So I think there's a sense of that going on in the background. And finally, I, you'll forgive me, but I have one more thing to say on this. And this is that even in, even without the um, allegation, either the first or the second allegation, there is very good reason to not want to appoint Mr. Kavanaugh because Mr. Kavanaugh was not forthcoming and dissembled in his answers to the um, judiciary, the House Judiciary Committee, around his role in um, giving uh, around his role in the Bush administration, around um, his legal opinions on torture, as well as his preparation of prior Supreme Court nominees. He he didn't uh, wasn't forthcoming with the documents, nor was he particularly open 
in his answers to questions. So I, I, I think there is a couple things combined with these allegations which suggest that Mr. Kavanaugh should be reconsidered. But there's certainly no evidence to indicate Mr. Trump is going to do anything other than double down or that the Republicans um, on the key committee are going to change their minds. But there are obviously a couple swing uh, people, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, um, Senator Collins of, uh, of Maine, and uh, Jeff Flake of Arizona, who may um, you know, step in and, and cause this thing to, to change direction. Yeah, it's astonishing. Yeah, so much lack of detail in some areas, yet he seemed to carry on a, a very finite and extensive calendar of his house party activity from 36 years ago. So there you go. Yeah, I supposedly had a 1982 <laughs> calendar, which he kept. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, weird, weird level of detail. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much. Always appreciate it. Uh, good to talk. And I'm sure the level things are developing. It'll probably be a day or two before I have to pick up the phone again. Well, always a uh, pleasure speaking with you, uh, Shane, and I'm happy to be available to you.